Hello, everybody. Welcome once again as we continue on in the study that we're doing through the New Testament. And we're more than three years into our study now. Uh, two years left to finish the New Testament. I tell you every time I get up here. And then 15 years to work through the Old Testament together and then we'll start all over again. So you have your Wednesdays planned for quite some time. And so do I. Uh, it's... Uh, it's good. Last week, um, Georgina stepped up and she did a great job. I wanted to say thank you to Georgina for, uh, for your time in the pulpit and for doing such an awesome job talking about heaven. We appreciate that. Um, but we're going to get back now into, uh, and then I think the week before I had Fran up because we've been running around, um, and most of you know, but my son got married Friday and uh, to Kim and we're very happy about that. And they're having a, to report back, they're, having, they're up in... Uh, the Thousand Island area in New York having a great time and uh, they said to say hi to everyone but uh, thank you everybody that uh, was here for that and uh, helped us uh, get all that together but it had us busy uh, for the last couple of weeks uh, good busy but busy nonetheless so we're kind of uh, taking a deep breath now and settling in so I'm, I'm back in and uh, going to pick up the study where we left off our last chapter was 2nd Corinthians chapter 9 We've been working through the New Testament chapter at a time. We've covered through the Gospels, the book of Acts, and now we're working through the letters that Paul wrote because we had the, uh, well, a year ago now, we had the missionary journeys fresh in our mind, and we were able to see how they connected with uh, the letters that Paul wrote fresh off of his uh, journeys, and in fact, most of them being written still while he's in the middle, the second one and the third one in there. And how that helps, I think, bring um, the Scripture to life because you can relate it into the actual story of how it took place and what was going on and I to me that helps as I read what's happening I can think about the early church and the struggles of the early church and and uh, how how fascinating it all was that all brand new what the early church was doing they didn't have any sort of real you know guide to go off other than what the spirit had had taught them through Paul when he was there and through the other guys when they showed up and and so there was a lot of issues in the early church like there is now and there was a lot of problems you know like there is now and Paul who um, would get run out of most towns after a little while um, by the established religious community that was always trying to persecute the church he would write letters back when he heard of situations people would come to him from those places and say we got these problems and Paul would write these letters back trying to address them and uh, the Corinthian church most of you remember was a amazingly gifted church um, and, and the Holy Spirit was really moving with them and upon them and in them and, and yet they had taken that giftedness as a sign of, of their maturity which they had not achieved yet and because of their immaturity in the ways of the Lord it had caused a lot of problems and so Paul's having to address them and he addressed a lot of them in 1 Corinthians and now 2 Corinthians has really uh, in these first verses um, has been a lot about um, how much he loves the people and how encouraged he is by them and continues to sort of help them in the right direction and the last two chapters we look at eight and nine were about an offering taken up for the churches that were in need um, but as we move into second Corinthians 10 and look at these last four chapters of second Corinthians together these um the the tone will change a little and Paul picks up a little bit more on what spiritual authority is and the whole letter has really been about that but the way Paul presents it which is so true of Paul and such an important lesson you may not have noticed yet that he is exercising his spiritual authority but now in these last four chapters he's going to step that up just a notch 
and he has to finally deal with the confrontation of the false prophets that he's dealing with in Corinth which is what this whole issue is all about remember these these prophets had shown up who claimed to be somebody and they really had no authority um, and they they claimed to be from the church in Jerusalem but we know that wasn't true and they were really messing things up the the work that Paul had done uh, under the owning of the spirit these these guys were just tearing apart and Paul's having to address that process but uh, authority is kind of the, the idea that, that we're going to talk about his spiritual authority and um, this authority that was given to Paul uh, was from the Lord and it was for building people up not tearing them down I want you to think about that spiritual authority is for building people up not tearing them down and uh, he even says as we'll look in 2 Corinthians 13 he said look my hope is that I won't be forced to uh, be harsh in my use of authority because he's hoping they'll have taken care of everything as he's offered this kind of tender mercy to them before he shows up but but I think that brings up an interesting point because a lot of times we've had some real we have real bad models often of what leadership looks like and uh, sometimes leadership authority has uh, this this content or context of being extremely harsh but in the body of Christ real spiritual authority is marked by a distinct gentleness you need to know that 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 people in the body of Christ who are in authority by the Lord should be operating out of an amazing gentleness to the people that they serve um, it should never be a harshness uh, and that's what we've seen in in Paul and we need to continue to see it and and in in some ways this has been the problem with the Corinthians they're used to leaders from their past being very harsh and and sort of commanding and demanding them to do certain things and Paul isn't like that and so the question has almost become um, you know why doesn't this leader lead you know they're 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 they mistake Paul's wisdom in coming at them in gentleness for weakness and Paul talks about this all the time, authority, throughout the scriptures, but here's, particularly in 2 Corinthians. And, and listen to some of the statements of authority that Paul has uh, given us so far. And, um, and then we'll, we'll hop into chapter 10 together. 2 Corinthians 1.24, Paul says, Not that we lord it over your faith, but we work with you for your joy. That's an authority statement. Here's one of 2 Corinthians 2.8. I urge you, therefore, to reaffirm your love for him I urge you he urges them he doesn't command doesn't demand he urges Second uh, Corinthians 7 1 dear friends let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit perfecting holiness out of reverence for God let's do this together let's let's offer our lives for him let's do this right because of the love that he has for us Second Corinthians 8 8 I am not commanding you but I want to test the sincerity of your love I just want you to move out of a love that God has for you. I'm not commanding you, Paul says, to do anything. I just want you to respond to the love of God appropriately. 2 Corinthians 8 to 8.10. Here is my advice about what is best for you. How's that for leadership? Here's my advice. I'll give you my advice. You take it. Or not. 2 Corinthians 11.7. Was it a sin for me to lower myself in order to elevate you? Let's look at that one next week. See, I want you to get the idea of what leadership looks like in the body of Christ. Because oftentimes we have some bad models. We have, unfortunately, pictures of leadership that are just the opposite. They're not gentle at all. They're demanding, commanding, abusive, manipulative. 
and and in in you can also in the world you can see what kind of people are leading you by how they're trying to do that if they have to try and motivate you by being manipulative or guilty guilting you into doing things or anything else that it's there's something not right they're not settled enough in how they're supposed to do it that they can't come at you correctly lovingly it doesn't mean that things don't get done and you don't have to correct people sometimes but there's a way to do it in love and that's what spiritual authority looks like and and Paul had this freedom to exercise his authority in such gentle ways because he knew that this was how God wanted spiritual authority used because he had a great model for that in Christ and um it was also the understanding and the knowledge that it was God who exercised authority through him. So he didn't have to prove himself. He didn't have to jump up and down, scream, dance, stomp his feet, anything else. He just knew that, that he was who God had called to the task. And he was settled in that. So he could just come at this whole, all these problems with as much love as he could. But still moving people to make good choices in their response to the love of God. So hold that in context as we look at 2 Corinthians chapter 10 verses 1 through 18. I'll read it to you. Uh, you can follow along in your notes or in your Bibles if you have them. Verse 1. By the meekness and gentleness of Christ, I appeal to you, I, Paul, who am timid when face to face with you, but bold when away. I beg you that when I come, I may not have to be as bold as I expect to be towards some people who think that we live by the standards of this world. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And we will be ready to punish every act of disobedience once your obedience is complete. You are looking only on the surface of things. If anyone is confident that he belongs to Christ, he should consider again that we belong to Christ just as much as he. For even if I boast somewhat freely about the authority the Lord gave us for building you up rather than pulling you down, I will not be ashamed of it. I do not want to seem to be trying to frighten you with my letters. For some say his letters are weighty and forceful, but in person he is unimpressive, and his speaking amounts to nothing. Such people should realize that what we are in our letters when we are absent, we will be in our actions when we are present. We do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves. When they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are not wise. We, however, will not boast beyond proper limits, but will confine our boasting to the field God has assigned to us, a field that reaches even to you. We're not going too far in our boasting, as, we, as would be the case if we had not come to you, for we did get as far as you with the gospel of Christ. Neither do we go beyond our limits by boasting of work done by others. Our hope is that, as your faith continues to grow, our area of activity, activity among you will greatly expand, so that we can preach the gospel in the regions beyond you. For we do, we do not want to boast about work already done in another man's territory. But let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. For it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. And blessed be the word of the Lord. Okay, so as we are moving into these last four chapters, the second thing I said, Paul now has to deal with the, probably the toughest subject at all. He has to confront the, the false apostles and make sure that the church in Corinth is devoted to Christ and will see and listen to Paul as his chosen apostle for that church. 
Um, because these four chapters really are different from the previous nine, some have conjectured that um, they might have been written by somebody else or they were written maybe in a different letter they got there before or after, but uh, I don't think so. I think, you know, a lot of times when you have to confront a situation that's difficult, um, you kind of, you do a lot of other stuff first where you can build people up before you go, okay, this is all the good stuff, but now here's some stuff that we sort of got to get out there and deal with. I just think that's what he was doing. He was kind of hitting all the good stuff, and now the tone has to change. So this is a difficult situation. The church in Corinth is sort of on the, uh, in a really bad spot because if they listen to these false prophets, they're going to go in a bad way. And Paul's like, I, I don't want you to hear them. You're kind of forgetting what we've done among you and what it looks like, and he's going to try and gently bring them back to where they need to be. And, and really what he needs to see in them, in the church, is, is obedience to the gospel and to the truth and the way things were set up so that then he can sort of dispatch with the false apostles that are there. So that's what he's hoping for. So in the first couple of verses, he talks about that. Um, a, a hope for the Corinthians to um, be obedient to the gospel that was preached to them and to make the changes that they need to make in order to get there because they've been buying into the lies that the false apostles are spreading which, you know, they, they brought all this, this legalistic mess with them. They're trying to put on the church that exists that started in the grace of God and the love of God. And, and that's causing huge problems, as it always does in the church. Whenever people try and legalize, uh, uh, you know, uh, regulate the church by, by making a bunch of rules, the church always loses its edge in the world because it stops being about grace and mercy and becomes about following rules and the moment you do that you're done you're, you lose your impact and, and, and then the church just sort of implodes over time this is what the Pharisees did they just all got so backbiting and mean that nobody was coming to Christ to God and their sake so he's fighting against that because he you know when we read the letter his hope is and he's saying look we, we came there with the gospel and our hope is that it takes root there it'll be a launching pad for the places beyond you that need to know the gospel too and that's what our hope is and, and, and so that's why they're, they're hanging on to this thing so tightly 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 6 is a, is a really fascinating portion of scripture which um, it's neat to be able to talk about in context because normally it's looked at out of context uh, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal but mighty for the pulling down of strongholds most of you know those verses because you heard them before in the context of spiritual warfare but you you need to know that Paul is using those verses. They were initially written in dealing with the false apostles that are there in Corinth. That's what he's talking about. See, the weapons of the world, which aren't ours, but the weapons of the world, the weapons that the false prophets were using, are all about learning, personal influence, impressive credentials, oratory skills, and those sort of things. That's what the false apostles came with. They came with letters from places. They looked to be very important. They were better speakers, apparently, than Paul. And uh, they had really impressive credentials, although Paul had a pretty good set of credentials too, but he said, you know, those are like rubbish to me in other places. Um, this is what they present, see? And Paul's saying, no, see, that's what, that's what the world does. That's not what the church does. These aren't the weapons that the church uses, and we don't wage war the way the world does. The weapons of the church are the gospel, the proclaimed word of God and prayer. Those are the weapons we have. Those are the mightiest weapons in the universe. Nothing, no evil thing, no evil person, nothing can stand against the proclaimed word of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ and prayer. 
It'll take anything down. It'll take down credentials, wisdom, learning, you name it. It'll take it down because it's the truth and it's what we stand on. And it was, it was what Paul was standing on. And, and in this battle, Paul's engaged in, in a battle for the hearts and the minds of the church in Corinth and what that means into the, the, the world all around them. As I told you, this is a strategic place and it will spread um, from there, but they, they need to protect it from this attack. And that's the battle he's talking about. That's the warfare that's going on. And, and he's praying and he's proclaiming the gospel to them once again and he's reminding them of what happened in order that they can see the lies of the false apostles and return uh, in obedience to Christ. And, and their responding to Paul appropriately would be the first step in that obedience. Getting about how it happened and what happened and who he was and realizing that these people that have come in to, and, and are ruining things and they're not building them up the way Paul did. They're dragging them down. They're, they're pulling them backwards. That they would get that and that they would turn once again to the truth in Christ. That's the battle that's going on. And that's what those verses, they have other contexts. I get that. But you need to know that that's their, their main point of context is what we just talked about. It's Paul saying specifically he's got to deal with this issue and that um, when, when the Corinthians turn in obedience, then they can deal with the disobedience that exists in the false apostles. But he's trying to make sure that that happens first in this process. And then um, in those last few verses, uh, 7 through uh, 15, Paul really then begins to take on the false apostles, apostles head on um, they, they'd come with these letters, you know, building themselves up, and Paul's saying that's all they got. And they, they're boasting about the work of other people, and Paul's response is this. He says, you know, um, we don't boast in what other people have done in other places, but you exist because God sent us to you. The church in Corinth existed because Paul, under the unction of the Spirit, went there. He was the reason the church is there. He's saying, you know, you need to think about how this all came to be and how it started and what that means so that you remember what the truth is and all these so-called sort of super apostles as they built themselves all they could do is talk about what other people did and then try and tear down what Paul, Paul had put into place through the Holy Spirit and so you, you sort of have to hold that in context as well as we dig in to these next verses um, together and in chapter 11 there was another verse I wanted to talk about and I want to go back and look at it Sorry, I know I'm sitting there on television with time blanking around. I apologize. Oh, that little part about, uh, I thought this was interesting, I read, it's kind of an afterthought. Uh, they were accusing Paul because uh, in his letters, they said he would say in things that he wouldn't say to them in person. And they misunderstood really what was happening because um, he's trying to be gentle and they're mistaking his gentleness, like I said, for something else, for weakness. And his letters seem a lot harsher because he's dealing with things. And he says to them, listen, um, if we show up and it's not dealt with, you, <laughs> you more or less wish we'd still have been writing letters than showing up in person because we're going to deal with it when we get there if it's not already dealt with. And he's not being mean. He's just saying this has to be dealt with for the sake of the kingdom. But uh, I, what that made me think about, kind of off, off subject now, is... Um, I get why they would think that. Have you ever, do you ever feel more bold when you're writing something than you might when you're saying something to somebody? And, and, uh, oh, and this with the other thought. Have you ever written something that you wish you hadn't written? And have you ever actually sent it 
and then immediately went, oh, delete, 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 too late. Some of you have been there, right? I don't, I, don't ever respond angrily by email. It never goes away. It's there forever and ever and ever and ever somewhere. It's ever, everything you've ever done on the computer exists. That's weird, isn't it? That there's somewhere. I think it's in big files. No, I don't have a, I don't have a conspiracy theory, but it's out there. And uh, I find oftentimes that in that light, um, it's way better to stop and think about stuff. That's one of the problems with instant everything. See, at least before, if you had to write a letter, it took a little while to write it. You know what I mean? You had to write it. You had to get something to write with. You had to, you had to write a letter. You had to get an envelope. You remember this process? You had to get a stamp. You had to put the address on there. You had to find the address because you didn't know it. You know what I mean? You had to find the address. You had to find a stamp. Then you had to get it out to the post office or wherever. And a lot of times by that point, that's the exercise of writing it was enough. You never sent it because you know, oh, that would have been really bad. Thank you for the day that I had to calm down. Email takes that option away. <laughs> Boom. Ah. <laughs> anyway, Paul's saying, look, um, we don't, we come at you lightly. We're trying to get you to, uh, God has this thing. I like to think of it this way. And I think it's what he's addressing. Take it for what it's worth. God um, is very merciful to us. And he wants us to change through his mercy. But I've always felt like there was levels of God's mercy. And, and uh, there's real tender mercy which is really sweet, simple mercy that just kind of says, and okay, that's not really the best direction for you. Let's make a little movement and get back on track. It's real sweet, and if you respond to it, all is well. However, if you don't respond to it, God has other mercy that's not nearly as tender. It's loving, but not as tender. And if we're not responding, um, it's like some, something will happen where you have to deal with what you're not dealing with. And that's still the mercy of God. It's just not the fun kind. All right? It's effective and it's necessary and we need it if we don't listen. But I think what that does is hopefully, and that's what's going on in this letter, hopefully we learn to respond to tender mercy. Oh, that's tender mercy. I should probably take my, my not be stubborn here, take my cue and repent because I don't want the other mercy. If I, can, if I can avoid it, I'd rather skip it. And uh, I think that's what he's working on there. So anyway, think about those things. We'll dig into chapter 11 next week. If you're watching my video on TV, thank you so much for spending this time with us. We appreciate you and we appreciate your time. Uh, if there's anything we can do, go to our website, keysvineyard.com, and uh, you can send us a prayer request, and we'll go from there.